if we play the word association game, you know, that game where one word automatically leads to another, and I say smoke, you say fire, and we've had, unfortunately, our share of that this week, and our prayers certainly continue for the man who was injured in the explosion in our boiler room. I say lock, you probably say key. I say peanut butter, you say this is how we think. Certain words go together. If I say siblings, you might say rivalry. <laughs> you might especially say that if you've been in worship for my sermons across the recent weeks as I've been unpacking the siblings and the rivalries of Genesis, which we are continuing to do. We started with uh, the story of Adam and Eve and their first children, uh, Cain and Abel, and the first murder. Cain killed his brother Abel, which is the epitome of sibling rivalry. And God is still crying about brothers and sisters who continue to kill each other. We talked a little bit, too, about Ishmael and Isaac recently, half-brothers, the sons of Abraham. There was lots of rivalry for Abraham's blessings between those sons, and it was especially perpetuated by their different mothers, Sarah and Hagar, but half-brothers are still brothers. And the main message of that relationship between Ishmael and Isaac, half-brothers, calls us to dwell well. Dwell well with our Muslim half-brothers and other half-brothers around the world. Anything less would go against what God intends uh, Isaac and Ishmael coexisted. Isaac and Ishmael respected each other. Isaac and Ishmael did not compete, really, for their father's affection. We can all learn so much from this. Today's focus is another set of siblings from Genesis as this epic story of Abraham and Sarah's family continues to unfold. It's the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and their names are Jacob and Esau. It's a relationship filled, at least on the surface, with intense, intense sibling rivalry. But when we look at it, and when we think about it, and when we delve into it, there's something far more important, and there's something far more powerful than just sibling rivalry. Genesis 25 begins the story of these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and their sibling rivalry, and their sibling rivalry actually begins in in their mother's womb. The twins are in the womb wrestling for supremacy even before they are born. And then when they are born, the first baby emerges. It says strong and red and already with hair. Not just on his head, but all on his body. And then comes the twin holding on to the first baby's heel, trying to pull him back so that he, the second one, could be first. Isaac and Rebekah named the first baby Harry, not as in Harry Potter, but as in Harry, as in, wow, that's a lot of hair on that baby. <laughs> in Hebrew, the name is Esau. That's what it means. The second child is named Heel Holder. They call him Jacob. That's what it means. Heel Holder. 
So within a few verses, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a man living in tents. Isaac, the father, loved Esau because he was fond of game. Rebekah loved Jacob. So they're siblings, but you can quickly sense the sibling rivalry growing because they're so different, and it's made worse by their parental favoritism. And even as the siblings grow and find their way in life, this unfortunate rivalry continues to dominate them, dominate their relationship. One day Esau comes in after a hard day of hunting in the fields, and he's very hungry, so hungry that he's really not thinking straight. Jacob is cooking lentil soup. Esau doesn't know what kind of soup it is, but he knows he wants some of it. And he says, give me some of that. I'm famished to his brother, Jacob. Jacob, well, Jacob grasps this moment just like he grasps the heel in the womb. I'll trade you this stew for your inheritance, brother. See, he's really grasping here. And the inheritance of the firstborn is the bulk of the father's estate. Esau is the firstborn. Only the father can grant it. So it's kind of crazy to think that Esau in this moment would honor such a request. But hey, this is intense sibling rivalry. And stuff gets said. And things get negotiated among siblings, right? What good is an inheritance if I can't survive this very day, Esau says. And the deal is made. He gives it up, his birthright. And the text makes no effort to justify either brother. They both look bad here. Esau is impulsive. Jacob is calculating. And really, both of them just need to grow up. Then we get to Genesis 27. Isaac, the father, is old, and he's having a hard time seeing. In fact, the text says he's blind. Isaac knows that he's not long for the world. He's been living a long time, and so he calls for Esau, his oldest son, his favorite son. And he says, son, I'm not going to live much longer. Um, It's time for me to give you your inheritance. Before I die, I ask you to go and hunt some fresh game and then fix it up in a stew that you know I'll like. Can you do that? Esau goes off, goes off to hunt. Rebecca, the mother, is eavesdropping on this conversation. She calls Jacob and she tells him to go slaughter two choice goats from their herd in the yard Bring them to her, she says, and she'll cook up a savory dish for her husband just the way he likes it. And then she says, Jacob, you could take it to your blind father. You could pretend to be Esau. You could receive the inheritance. And Jacob says, but Esau, is he's so hairy. If dad touches me, he'll know. And yet Rebecca has a plan, a plan to dress dress Jacob in Esau's clothes and cover his arms and his neck with the skin of the kids that she butchered. And then this. I'm reading from Genesis 27. So Jacob went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you? My son. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, 
your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are hairy of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near me. And kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his garments. And he blessed him. And he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May, the, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. Let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came in, and I have blessed him. Yes, and blessed he shall be. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, father. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father again, Have you only one blessing? Father, bless me, me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. And then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? This is the word of the Lord. There are so many questions from this dramatic story how could the patriarch Isaac be so blind as to not recognize his own son 
How could Isaac be so easily deceived about something so important to him and so important to God in this long story of God's covenant? How could Rebecca be so devious and scheming against her husband and against her other son? How could Jacob, who is the recipient of the blessing, gain God's genuine favor when it's all gained through dishonesty and scheming and deceit without integrity? As we read this passage, certainly we identify with Isaac who trembles violently when he realizes he's been deceived and probably we identify too with Esau who cries out to be blessed, bless me, me too, Father, and who weeps, who weeps so profusely. Our hearts go out to these people in the story much more so than to Rebecca and Jacob with their conniving Is God's covenant going to carry on like this? That's the question. Could it? Should it? Didn't God say to Abraham and Sarah that he chose them so that they might instruct their children in the ways of the Lord, which would be ways of justice, fairness, and goodness, and kindness? How could this scheme be right and good? The suspense is growing The intrigue is growing. What's going to happen? Well, the next few chapters of Genesis remain full of ongoing intrigue and suspense. Jacob, worried that Esau would indeed kill him, flees to his uncle Laban, and he stays there for 20 years. 20 years. But after 20 years... Maybe Esau has forgotten. After 20 plus years, maybe he can go home again and things will be right. So he begins heading that way. And then on his way home, Jacob becomes exceedingly terrified and distressed when he hears that Esau knows he's coming and Esau has amassed a force of 400 men ready to meet his brother. So Jacob sends emissaries to offer Esau gifts. Hey, here's cattle, here's sheep. He divides his camp even into two parts so that if one of them gets killed by the brother, then the other will still survive. And then this, in Genesis 32, it's nighttime. Listen, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to Jacob, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place 
Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is a memorable story here from Genesis 32 because it's where the covenantal people of God get their name. You shall be called Israel. There it is. But there's more. Following this night of wrestling, following this amazing scene, the next morning comes and Jacob and Esau meet for the first time in more than 20 years. While we would fully expect it to be a confrontation of jealousy and scheming, because that's all we've seen, while we would predict that it would be about violence and killing because of these sibling rivalries and that promise, what unfolds remains one of the great stories of the Bible, the whole Bible. It's not fear that dominates the scene. It's not shame. And it's not scheming, which we've seen so much of. Here's what happens in this long-awaited meeting of siblings who have been so much rivals. Here's what happens. When Esau, when Jacob sees Esau coming, Jacob bows down to the ground seven times, bowing seven times. Then Esau ran out to meet Jacob and embraced him. And they It says he fell on his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. And then, in their conversations that immediately follow, Jacob called Esau, my Lord. Jacob to Esau, my Lord, five times, and twice he calls himself Esau's servant. And then Jacob insists on offering to Esau boundless possessions. Please, take this, Esau, take this, take this. And Esau says... I have plenty. What's yours is yours. And then Jacob responds, Please, accept these gifts, for truly to see you face to face is like seeing the face of God. Since you have received me with such favor. Let what is yours be yours, and then to see you is to see the face of God because you have received me with such favor. Wait, what? Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Something is finally different between these brothers. They're no longer sibling rivalries. This is about pure blessing. Pure blessing. Up to now, this story has been about deceit and dishonesty. It's been about tragedy, with people trying to make things work out a certain way according to their own plan. But after Jacob's wrestling with the angel, everything is changed. And there's this big celebration. What are we to make of this? Jacob, for so long, wanted what was Esau's. To be the firstborn, to have what was coming to Esau, 
wealth and birthright. He dressed in Esau's clothes. He took Esau's blessing. He even said, I'm the firstborn. I'm Esau standing before his father. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. What a tangled web. But in wrestling with the angel, the longing to be Esau and holding on to Esau's blessing was totally converted. It was as as if the angel said to Jacob, Jacob, for 20 years you've been running in fear. It was as if the angel said to Jacob, for 20 years and more you've been grasping for what was Esau's struggling to find life and purpose, and you've been lost in confusion and lost in despair and heartache. In the wrestling with the angel, Jacob realized that he had to let go of Esau so that he could hold on to God. He had to let go of his struggle to be Esau so that he could be himself and be full of God's blessings as himself. So the next day, after the wrestling, he did just that. In the meeting with Esau, he gave back to Esau his blessings of wealth and power. Here it is. Please take it. And he received his life in return, and he discovered the peace that had escaped him for all those years. What do you need to let go of so that you can hold on to God? What do you need to let go of so that you can know God's blessing and peace? How much energy do we spend longing for something that someone else has? How much energy do we expend seeking what others have or seeking to be who others are? It's called mimetic desire. Mimetic desire is the wish to have what someone else has. Mimetic desire is the desire to be what someone else is. That was Jacob. And he was so nurtured in this by his mother, Rebecca, which is so very easy for loving, doting mothers to do. Contribute to the desire in our children to have them want what others have, to be what others are. It's so easy for us to contribute to this. Folks, here's the promise of the gospel. You are loved for who you are. You are loved for who you are. Go and make the most of it, loving and serving in the world. You have been covered with blessing. All of us have. Our calling is to live it out, loving and serving in the world. Jacob had it so wrong for so long, and we do too often. Jacob finally got it right after long, fearful, running, and then wrestling. God wants us to get it right. You are loved for who you are, just as you are. You have specific gifts that are to be used for God's work in the world. We don't need to be pulled into wanting what others have. That's the biggest danger. It leads to competition and even to violence, as we see in the story and as we know in the world. We're to use what we have for God in the world. We're cherished. 
be about God's work in the world. We do not need to be somebody different. God uses us for God's work in the world. We're so covered with blessing, and we often get so off track with our deceitful pursuits and our fearful plans. We're so full of God's blessings covering us. We're, we're meant to live from that, loving, generously, giving, graciously, blessing, expansively. That's our calling. That's our calling. Jesus says, give to God the things that are God's. That would be our lives. That would be our best gifts. That would be our very selves. Give to God the things that are God's. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief. Move us toward faith and hope and love following Jesus Christ. Amen.